Bible, let's go to Romans 7. And we've been taking our time going through Romans. There's so much material in it. And one verse opens up to 20 other passages, which is kind of what's going to happen again tonight. It's a um, very interesting topic, uh, one that certainly is very current, if you will, for our culture and the situations dealing with those that are married, believe it or not, in Romans 7. So we're going to go into some things about, a little bit about marriage and some of the things that happened in the Old Testament culturally and what's happening today. Uh, so we're, I, I think it'll be instructional for some, and hopefully it will have great meaning to everyone in one way or another. It also is going to attack the issue of the law versus grace once again, which Romans constantly does that. So there's two major things that we'll be looking at this evening, and uh, we will cut it off at 7 tonight. This is probably could end up being a two-part message, but uh, we'll see where we get to. So let's pray. We'll read Romans 7. Eh, let's read Romans 7 first, then we'll pray. Romans 7, first six verses. Or do you not know, brethren, speaking of Christians, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Father, we pray now that you would please, uh, as you always do, bless your word. And Lord, uh, instruct us tonight, uh, those that may be watching on the internet, we pray that it, things that would be clear to them as well. So Lord, we just commit this time to you. Thank you, Father, that uh, those of us that have placed our faith and trust in Christ, that indeed we're not married to the law anymore, but we're married to Jesus Christ, and in that we rejoice. So Father, we commit this time to you. Pray and bless it now, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, uh, we're going to go through this verse by verse. We're going to be adding quite a bit of material. Uh, got a, I don't know how many people actually use the outline, uh, but if you do, there isn't one. So uh, you'll have to get your paid paper pencils out tonight and do some note-taking. Uh, but the first part is a little bit simplistic, but then it's going to get a little bit heavier as we move forward. All right, verse 1, Romans chapter 7. Or do you not know, brethren... For I speak to those who know the law. So we're looking at the audience here. Who would be the people that would, I'm just by knowledge, know what the law is? And we're looking at Jewish people. So he definitely has uh, at least somewhat of a, a Jewish audience or those that at least had uh, come into the synagogues. And he says, don't you know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law is dominion over man as long as he lives. Now here's the issue. Romans has been de dealing consistently with individuals that were steeped in Old Testament law. 
And folks, it's as weird as it seems, 2,000 years later, the world is still the, the quote-unquote <clears throat> Christian community, not Bible-believing Christians, but for the most part, anything, any denomination, any group that calls themselves Christian, they're still steeped in what? A lot of the Old Testament law. So instead of looking at being saved by grace, which is what Paul's trying to point out here, they're still trying to live under the law. Uh, I had a, a, a couple that contact me, contacted me today. They don't go to uh, this church. And uh, they made it very clear that when they got saved, they returned to the Old Testament law. And uh, they were basically saying, listen, you preach, preach about grace all the time, but uh, uh, no, you've got to follow the law. It's not just by grace alone. And I very much that happened to be very apropos because it got me all fired up about addressing that subject tonight, which we're going to do a little bit later. So uh, there is, uh, the law has been abolished. Uh, the, this particular passage is going to make it very clear that we died to the law. Individuals that come to Christ and desire to go back and live under their Old Testament law, the book of Galatians was written to condemn that behavior, specifically Galatians chapter 3. So uh, I know there are groups that do that, and they, I mean, they're just absolutely positive that what they're doing is correct. And God bless them. At least they're saved. I'm, I rejoice in that. But returning to the Old Testament law absolutely makes no biblical sense, uh, especially when we read passages like we're going to look at tonight. All right, so he's, what he's doing here, he's going to take a human situation and bring it into the spiritual realm. Again, God loves to use human things that we understand, that we can relate to, to illustrate his word. Verse 2, for the woman who has a husband is bound by the what? The law. All right, now, now catch what he's doing here. He's looking at things from a judicial perspective. So, and it could be reversed way too. I mean, uh, you got a man and a woman, but God always tends to do things from, uh, if you will, the masculine standpoint. But now he's going to the woman. He says, the woman who has a husband, she is bound by the law. Now, think about first century versus 2022. I mean, uh, uh, the world has come way, way down the road when it comes to the sanctity, if you will, of marriage, all that. So over 2,000 years, this is tremendously more from what Paul was dealing with. So the people understood these principles. So he's saying, listen, when, when someone gets married, they are bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. Now, here's the point. He's going to talk about, well, what happens if her husband dies? This is the main illustration he's trying to bring forth. So you have a couple and, and by, you know, in Wisconsin, which, of course, we, I think, well, there might be one or two here from Illinois. But in Wisconsin, uh, if some, if a, let's just assume you separate for, for whatever reason. In Wisconsin, it's automatic 50-50. It's just the way it runs unless you go to court and all that. Now, I don't want to get into all that. But uh, the issue is, though, if your husband or if your wife dies, it's no longer 50-50 because that person uh, obviously is passed on. So what, what happens in the literal law? Not the Bible law, but in secular law. Well, if one of the spouses die, what happens to all the property? I think automatically goes to uh, the spouse that's left. That's the way the law works. Well, what God is trying to point out here 
based on law, secular law, when someone dies, they're no longer bound to that person. That contract ceases to exist based upon the death of someone. So he's pointing that out because he's now going to talk about me and you as Christians are dead to what? We're dead to the law, which is why those that want to go back as Christians and embrace the law, they're basically discounting what Christ has done for them. So he's really trying to make this point. And uh, it's made many, many times in Scripture. All right, so let's, let's get to the illustration. The woman who is a husband, <clears throat> excuse me, is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. All right, you're done. Uh, whether good, bad, or indifferent to the marriage, it's like once the spouse Uh, uh, God takes a spouse, that legal binding, if you will, it's done, it's over, it it, it ceases to exist. Now, from a marital side of things, and we're going to get into three different things that God talks about where, and, and I'm not saying this at all from a positive standpoint, but from a reality standpoint, God allows three different things in the scriptures for if you will, marriage and remarriage for marriage and basically one partner is gone and uh, allows for uh, the person to get remarried. Well, the first one happens to be right here. If your spouse unfortunately dies, then God says, listen, you can be married to another. And that's exactly the point he's making. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, if you were trying to live under the law, trying to do things the Old Testament way, trying to do things under the Mosaic law, it says when you trust in Christ, bam, it's over, it's done, it's gone. So that's the point. All right, let's go to the next one. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now we're going to get into some of the issues which, quite frankly, these are hot, hot topics today, even in, more in Christendom than in the secular world. So we're going to look at uh, three different instances again of where God basically says a separation or a divorce literally can occur. So the first one, of course, is based on death. Secondly, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and the Apostle Paul is speaking, and he says this. He's, he's basically talking to individuals that aren't, aren't married at this point, and it's, the subject actually is dealing with infidelity in marriage. But now he gets down to the specific things of marriage, and he says this, To the married I command, I command, yet not I, but who? The Lord. Now you're going to see a very tricky little phrase coming up, which we'll explain, where he says, well, this isn't from the Lord, but it's from me. And we'll explain that in a minute. But here's what he says. He says, A wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart. All right, so what he's saying, listen, let's get honest. Many, many people, unfortunately, the numbers are somewhere in the 60% range of all marriages end in divorce. It's just, it's, a, it's the statistic of the day that, in, that invades Christian as well as secular homes. Now, the Christian number is slightly less than that, but uh, there's still a significant amount of folks, Christian, non-Christian, that get divorced. All right, now what's your point? Well, the point is this. When we're looking at God's perfect world, do most people follow God's perfect world? They don't, all right? So we're looking at things that God makes allowance for, but we have to keep in mind, when we're looking at anything, and let's get out of the marriage context for a moment. 
When you're looking at anything and somebody chooses to do wrong in that particular area, when someone does wrong or they sin, is God for that? No, he's not, right? So, uh, and I'm trying to be as simplistic as possible so this makes sense. The issue is God never endorses sin, but God also knows that people will do things that he basically hasn't put his stamp of approval upon. So we're going to work through that a little bit later, but as we go through this, again, I always say this, especially because 2,000 years after these things were written, the culture has dramatically changed. Many, many, many folks, and I'm not endorsing it, but many, many folks uh, in, in the church and outside the church have gone through divorces. I always like to say this, any single time we're talking about whatever issue it is, happens to be the marriage issue and divorce today, is that the end of a person's life when it comes to, to church? Absolutely not. You know, uh, uh, if by chance the marriage was not, quote-unquote, ending in a biblical allowance for divorce, which, again, we look at one uh, uh, right now, it does not discount that you cannot still serve the Lord. So I always like to make that clear. So it says, To the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, what is he saying here? He's like, okay, here's the perfect way, but I know in reality that some people are going to reject that, and they're going to depart. So he says, well, here's the rule then, at least from God's perspective. Let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Right, so very simply. And this happens all the time, folks, and uh, sometimes uh, uh, when folks get separated, and I mean it can be a nasty, horrible time, terrible things were taking place, then all of a sudden God begins to work on one or both of their hearts, and they actually get back together. I've seen that many a time. Uh, they get over their bitterness and their anger and their hurts, and it's like, you know, I really do love that guy. He's a knucklehead, but I still love him. And uh, he says the same thing, and they get together, and uh, they put the rings back on, and, and away they go again. So, I mean, that does happen. So here's the perfect world, if you were. Listen, if, if you break up, if you separate, if you happen to take different paths for a while, uh, you try to remain unmarried, remain unmarried. I mean, that's the, that's the rule, or be reconciled. And, and it's tough, especially in the Christian world, when people get separated and man, the emotions kick in and you're so upset or you wouldn't be in that, that position in the first place. <sighs> but after they settle down, maybe spend a season in prayer, a little bit of counsel and so forth, they can come back together. And the Bible also says here, it says what? And a husband is not to divorce his wife. So God's perfect plan, of course, is one man, one woman until literally that first cause comes into play, which is death. Now, Here's he's going to come into the next section about when there's a problem in the marriage. And here's what he's going to say, verse 12. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say. Now, when you read that, contextual is like, well, what does he mean? I'm going to say it, but God's not. It, it almost sounds like, well, this is Paul's opinion, not God's. All right, so the actual concept here is what he's saying is the Old Testament law had very specific things about what a person could and couldn't do. He's going to address a brand new issue that there's no revelation 
previously from the Old Testament to go to. So Paul is saying, listen, I'm going to basically reveal something new here. It's not that he's saying, no, this isn't isn't the inspired word of God. I'm just making it up as I go along. So don't take it that way. He's basically saying uh, specifically that that what? That this is something coming from the Lord, but it definitely is not something that is documented in the past. If any brother has a wife, who does not believe? All right, so what are we talking about? We're talking about an unequally yoked marriage where um, uh, either one person is saved, husband or wife, and the other person is not. Now, how can that happen? Well, it happens on a multitude of different levels. One is uh, an unsaved person literally knows they're marrying uh, a, a saved person, and they love each other at least at the beginning, but things start to go awry. What's another way this can happen? You have two unsaved folks that get married, and one person gets saved, and they want to follow the Lord, and the other one is like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. All right, so let's see what he says. If any brother has a wife who does what? Does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. All right, so he's saying, listen, if your spouse gets saved, and, uh, 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 well, basically, if you're, you get saved and your spouse is not saved, God says, listen, stick with that person. There's nothing wrong with that. And uh, he's going to explain why. He says, to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. All right, so why are we going to this particular uh, section? Because he's saying, listen, at times there's going to be this divisive relationship. That's why uh, we make it very strong, and, and for our, our teenage young people and for the many folks that have been getting married here recently, how important it is to make sure if you're a Christian that you're marrying a Christian. I mean, it, it's just imperative, and God knows that there's going to be problems in a marriage if one person's trying to live for God and the other one isn't. So that's the issue again. Do not be unequally yoked. God makes that very, very clear. And again... Will the potential be that the marriage can make it? Possibly, but God says, listen, don't put yourself in that predicament because there's going to be problems. When you look at marriage, what are some of the main things people fight about and get upset about? Well, there's several different things. Money is a huge one. One person's a spendthrift. The other person's trying not to ruin the budget. causes a whole lot of arguments. You know what the top issue is among married couples? Toothpaste. toothpaste. Yeah, nope. Not toothpaste. Money is not the top one, but it's up there. It's in the top couple. Communication. Some of you have been married a long time. You still don't know what the favorite color your wife or husband is. Right? I mean, it's... A, uh, and I mean that facetiously, but it, it, it happens that we get married and familiarity kind of breeds contempt. You go off and do your own thing. The spouse does her own thing or his own thing, and communication doesn't happen, and all of a sudden you got fireworks when something goes wrong. So communication is huge in marriage. Uh, when uh, I do the marriage counseling and I have books that I make are mandatory, they have to, young couples have to read them, and uh, it, one of the huge issues is how do you communicate? There's a list of questions. I mean, they're heavy-duty questions. They've got to answer 
sitting next to their partner, and they've got to go through those heavy-duty subjects. Who's going to run the books? Uh, who's going to, I mean, it just goes through all these different things. And they, some of them squeal and squabble, and it's like, well, you know, and of course, when I'm around, they try and behave themselves. But, you know, if they don't get this ironed out before they get married, it's going to be a huge issue once they do get married. I always say everything's great until you put the rings on, then look out. And, uh, boy, if you haven't got those things settled, you, what church are you going to go to? Or are you going to go to church? Now that you got the rings on her, one may say, listen, I'm done with church. I'm, I'm done. You know, I went there because mommy and daddy forced me to go. The other person said, oh, I love the Lord. I want to be. I've, these are huge issues. All right, so he says, listen, if you got one that's saved and one that's unsaved, if the unsaved person's willing to stick around, keep them. Don't push them out the door just because they haven't come to Christ. Pray for them, and hopefully the Lord will touch them. Let's move on. Verse 14. Why should the unbeliever stick with the believer? In other words, the believer not kicking him out. Here it is. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. What's God saying? As long as you at least have one of the two members in the, of the parental family that's trying to serve the Lord, God says they got a fighting chance is basically what he's saying. Either mom is going to, I mean, good night, I hear it so many times, where uh, uh, moms who, for whatever reason, especially in the last generation, seem to be much more on fire for the Lord. And a lot of the fathers, I mean, they just were, I mean, they were there, but they had no input into spiritual life. And mom would basically raise the young people up. She'd pray for them, and she'd watch over them, and she'd try and instruct them in the scriptures. Dad's out there doing his own thing in the garage or in the lawnmower or whatever he's doing, uh, but mama's there helping, and sometimes it's the reverse of that situation. So God's saying, listen, don't split up again. Just because your spouse may not be saved, if they're willing to stay with you, keep them. Verse 15, but, uh-oh, here it comes. If the what? Unbeliever departs. Let him depart. A brother or sister is what? Is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So here's, here's the issue. And this is scripture, folks. And uh, I know especially in good old-fashioned fundamental Baptist churches, this one raises a little bit of the old... Uh, hair on some folks' necks, but it's Scripture. You can't deny what God says here. If indeed the unbeliever decides to pull out, uh, God says, well, so be it. You're you're not going to know whether that person's going to get saved or not. That's exactly what he says. Now, is that God's perfect will? Well, I don't think it is. I think God always desires to keep the marriage family together. Malachi, God says he, he hates divorce. Is, does he allow it? Yes, but he wants to keep that unit together. Why? Because it has spiritual application. Again, think of it from God's perspective, not the human perspective. Everything God puts into place, he wants it to be basically perfect, even though human beings are going to mess it up. So let's, what are the three main institutions that God put into place? The first one is the family, okay, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. The next one, Genesis chapter 9, is government. So God instituted the family, which, of course, we've corrupted. 
God instituted the, uh, the family, God instituted government. Is that messed up? Yeah, yeah that's messed up. All right, so uh, the human secular world has managed to mess up the family. They managed to mess up uh, the government. And the n- number three, God instituted the church. So we come into the New Testament. Those are the three things God instituted. Now, folks, uh, uh, I hope we don't say that about our particular church, but is the church messed up around the country and around the world? It seriously is. Um, Many, many churches today, (laughs) what we did this morning, uh uh-uh. Not only will they not give the gospel, they're definitely not going to baptize anyone. Evangelism is kind of like a nasty word, especially when many of our Bible-believing churches have gone Calvinistic. It's like, well, we don't, we don't give out the gospel anymore. That's, that's God's problem. He's, he's got to say, folks, well, that's not what I'm, the Word of God makes it very clear that we're God's what? His ambassadors. How are they going to hear without a preacher? How are they going to go unless someone goes and tells them? So, uh, uh, folks, uh, the Christian church has figured out every way possible not to do God's work. So what do they do? They meet together. They have the social club, uh, have a nice little time. They go out and go right back into the secular world. And that's the way the church has been going. Or uh, in order to draw a crowd, instead of preaching the word, well, let's let's have a concert and we sing and wave our hands and get emotional and we walk out with no Bible message. And, well, we had a great time. It was great entertainment. Uh, And I'm, I mean, I enjoy... Good music, I enjoy, uh, if you will, praising the Lord and worshiping Him, but when you walk out and there's no substance to it, you walk out the same way you walked in, a little bit happy and a little bit emotional, but you go right back doing the same thing you did. That's, that's where the church is headed today, folks. So that's why uh, churches like ours, and there's many, many churches like ours, but there's a whole lot going in a different direction today. And uh, it's unfortunate. All right, so let's get back to uh, the Scripture, verse 15. If the believer departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God's called you to peace. And then he states this, For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? What's he saying? Now, there's not a single person on earth that can save someone else. What's he saying? If you're, you're... trying to reach them with the gospel. You're doing everything you can uh, 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 to pray for them and to support them and to give them the gospel. We don't know if they're going to trust Christ. Isn't that interesting? Uh, the Reformed theology would say, well, you know, God will take care of who's going to get saved and who isn't. This one says, listen, uh, you do everything you can to try and win your unsaved loved one to Christ. Uh, but do we know if they're going to get saved? Do you know if somebody's going to get saved? Of course not, right? Uh, we pray, we beg God, we share the gospel, but there's no guarantee that uh, anyone will trust Christ. So that's an unfortunate truth, but it is the truth. Let's go to the other issue. And this one many are familiar with, Matthew chapter 5, out of the Old Testament law, technically again. Uh, here's, here's a big thing. When you're looking at the gospels, it's literally most of the teaching in the Gospels is looking, it's being spoken by Jesus, a great deal of it. He's talking to his Jewish disciples, and he's preparing them for the next major event that the disciples knew about, which is actually the kingdom. Now, 
there's a great deal of issues when it comes to the kingdom. And I know there's divide, it's become somewhat divisive, but the, the fact of the matter is, are we living in the kingdom today? And the answer is absolutely not. If this is the kingdom, it is really not what God described as the kingdom. In the kingdom, uh, Jesus Christ will be on earth. He's definitely not on earth today. In the kingdom, people will live up to a thousand years old. It's not happening today. During the kingdom, Israel will be transformed into a land where, uh, unlike today, where you go and it's barren and desertish, is going to be a land flowing with uh, blossoms and great agriculture. It's not so today. During the tribulation, God said uh, uh, the, the wars and the rumors of wars and all that will be put to rest. During the kingdom, God said he would rule the world with a rod of iron and all these different things. So are we in the kingdom today? No, we're not in the kingdom today. There are those in what's called progressive, here I'm going to give you a little theology now, in progressive dispensationalism that have a kingdom now theory. In other words, the kingdom is taking place on earth now, but it really will develop into the future. Well, that's an interesting concept. Uh, but is the kingdom here? No. If this is the kingdom, why in the world is America messed up the way it is? When God comes, the kingdom will be just returning to an Edenic state. We're not there. All right? So uh, we want to be careful because, uh, and here's where I can give a little bit of latitude. Are you, God's people, going to be in the literal kingdom? Yes, all right? So when we're talking about, well, we're building the kingdom, some people will have a little different definition than I have of that, and I can agree with them on this. Yes, every single one of God's people, Revelation chapter 19 states that all God's people will come back with him at uh, uh, the second coming to inaugurate his 1,000-year kingdom. So we all are, in a sense, building the kingdom because every person that gets saved will be in that kingdom. The Gospels are referring to that kingdom. And again, when did the church begin? When did the church age start? And there's so much confusion about that issue. So when we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, we're really still looking at things that apply to the Old Testament Jewish law. And that's exactly what he's going to point out here, because we're going to talk about Moses. Moses certainly was not a part of the New Testament church age. All right, let's see how that works out. Verse 32, but I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason, except, and of course most of your versions have the word adultery, or here we have sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. All right, so we're going back to how did God set things up in the beginning? And here he's going back, he's referring to Old Testament law, and we'll look at it in a moment in Deuteronomy, uh, and it makes perfect sense how this comes to put together. So let's go to verse 7, Matthew 19, and let's see what Moses said. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced, 
commits adultery. All right, so that's the law. Let's see it in Deuteronomy 24. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she, that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her. Now, I've spent some time going through this concept, but what is uncleanness? Well, it gets very, even on the best commentators, even when looking at the original language, the, the word kind of opens up a whole myriad of things. But it's literally talking about how did a wife manage to defile herself? Was it doing something immoral, which seems to be the context? But again, it's not spelled out. So he says, when she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some uncleanness in her, basically uh, the strongest thing appears to be immorality, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of the house. When she departs from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her, this poor lady's got a problem, all right? So she's her first husband, and, and this is literally law. I mean, this, this isn't some parabolic concept. This is literally being talked about. She's like, listen, if this happens, and it happened, if a lady, for whatever reason, uh, based on the uncleanness, whatever it is that their husband found vile, he says, enough's enough, out. He writes her a certificate of divorce. Now she goes and uh, she gets married to husband number two. And he says, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife. Now God says, here's the cleanness that I expect from that couple. Her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that's an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So the Old Testament law said this. Listen, if, if you, you go ahead, you get divorced, and the wife, if you will, goes off and marries someone else, you're never getting back to him, period, done. That, that relationship is over. Why? Because it's a defilement. Uh, be the same. He's just basically saying once... Uh, once you're married to another, that, that relationship is done because you're going back and making that which was clean defiled by returning to that previous husband. All right, now that's God's pattern. That's it. That's the only things in Scripture that deal with this subject. So what do we get from it? Number one, New Testament, Romans chapter 7. If your husband or wife dies, are you free to marry another? Are you? Absolutely you are, okay? Uh, it's sad, it's harsh, it's hard. Uh, if you loved your spouse and cared about them. Uh, but we had, an, and I, I was just, I, I didn't know that I heard my ears right the other night when we uh, had the, the missionary here, uh, Jonathan Rust, and his wife passed away. And uh, he, he basically, I mean, he's missing her. He's missing her horribly. And it was a great uh, testimony that he gave. And he's like, you know, I want to stay in the ministry. And uh, I need a wife. I mean, he just came out right out. I'm like, did I hear him right? Yeah, I heard him right. And uh, is, is that wrong? No, of course not. Uh, uh, it's unusual that uh, someone might say that at times, but uh, he did. And it's like, well, God bless him. You know, if the Lord brings a, another lady that uh, falls in love with him and wants to serve in the ministry with him, well, that's, that's absolutely wonderful. And uh, uh, I applaud that. Uh, I've had others that... Uh, 
um, I mean, their spouse is gone. They loved them dearly, and um, boy, they just all of a sudden, boy, that that loneliness happens, and boy, they just they need to get married. And, and uh, God says, "You go for it. It's, it's all good." And why is He saying that? Again, what's He saying? He's trying to bring this into context of when the law is when you're dead to the law, when you are married to another, do not return. Oh, is that why he said that? That's exactly why he said it. It's a spiritual principle. If you marry Jesus Christ, so to speak, in other words, you've left the Old Testament way, you've embraced Jesus Christ, you've been married to him, you do not go back to the Old Testament law. That's the principle. Again, everything God does with the family is illustrating his principle. All right, what's the second one? Abandonment of a saved spouse by an unsaved spouse. In other words, the unsaved person, are they bound by Scripture? Well, you could argue it both ways. You wish they were bound by it, but they're not. They refuse to place themselves under the authority of Christ. And God says, listen, if you can't control them. If they determine to leave, if they determine to get antagonistic, then you have to let them go. And, of course, we go back to the Old Testament law about adultery, and uh, we know exactly where God stood with that issue. So, uh, again, these are very, very difficult subjects, the, the massively controversial in our society today, but God did set these guidelines. So uh, hopefully that makes some sense. All right, let's go back to Romans chapter 7, verse 3 and uh, bring in the, get away from the illustration and get back to the actual application now. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. Now what's God saying? When you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, what happens when you go beyond your walk with God and begin to pull in secularism? What happens when you go beyond living for the Lord Jesus and start going to a pluralistic teaching, which I talked about quite a bit in our Sunday school the last several months? What does that mean? It means instead of this being the one and only guidance, principles, commandments, all of a sudden we say, well, you know, I kind of like what they teach down somewhere else. And I want to incorporate that into the scriptures. I liked a, a, a psychologist I heard on television or a psychiatrist I heard on television, and they were very engaging, and I like what they said. Nah, it's not biblical, but I think it makes a lot of sense, and I'm going to incorporate that. Folks, that's exactly what he's saying here. When you've been married to the Lord, you don't go pluralistic. You don't divorce yourself from what God has given to you and start to go into this pluralistic, secularistic type teaching. Does that make sense? I hope it does. All right, so then he says, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress, but if her husband dies, you're free. And God's going to now point out what that means from a spiritual standpoint, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Verse 4, therefore, my brethren, Christian, you also have become what to the law? Dead. Dead. When something dies, does it have life? That's a simplistic little question. When something dies, it's gone, it's over, it's no longer in existence. 
Now, we're not talking about into the future, into the resurrection, all those things, but when something dies, it's gone. So, uh, I don't know if she's here tonight. I don't see her. Uh, so, one of our dear ladies, she gave me a couple of plants. Oh, boy. And I put those in there and said, listen, these are very easy to take care of. All you got to do is water them once a week, keep them, uh, they don't need a lot of sun, you just put them by the window. I killed both of them. I mean, they're dead, gone. Now, once they're dead, folks, you can't do CPR on a plant. It's not coming back. It's gone. It's withered. It's, uh, yeah, I, I do a great job on that. I do not have a green thumb. Uh, but the concept is this. Listen, when somebody, something is dead, it's gone. It, it's gone. And that's what he's saying. He says you are dead to the law. Again, why in the world would anyone who's put their faith and trust in Christ want to return back to the Old Testament law? And I've heard the arguments, and it's like, oh, but you don't understand uh, uh, we follow the feasts, and we do this, and we do that, and we like this Jewish culture, and we'll put uh, yarmulkes on our heads, and we'll wear Jewish prayer robes, and uh, folks, they get more legalistic than the real Jewish people do. And God says, why are you doing that? We're going to look at that in just a moment. So he says, listen, you're dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were roused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. What's he saying? Listen, what was the purpose of the law? One purpose only. The law came about to prove you couldn't keep it. 600, again, we, I, I constantly like that number. I keep popping it out there because people have it ingrained in their head there's 10 commandments. Well, folks, nobody on earth has ever kept the Ten Commandments, much less the 613 that exist in the Torah, in the Pentateuch, in the Old Testament law, uh, 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 the first five books of the Bible. So what's he saying? But now we have been delivered from the law. Well, didn't Jesus come to fulfill the law? Absolutely he did. Did Jesus abolish the law? He fulfilled the law, and it's no longer in effect. That's Bible, okay? So keep that in mind. And, and, and by the way, folks, we are the, I mean, when you talk about Christian churches, I, I don't think we ever fall on the legalistic scale. Uh, if just looking at us tonight, I mean, we're all violating the law just by being here and what we're wearing and everything else. We're, we're not bound by it. And we, don't, we don't portray that we're bound by it. So, but you know who is? People that you're going to see tomorrow. Folks that are trying to work their way to heaven by keeping the law, which of course they can't. It's the culture. Everyone wants to get to heaven by what? Keeping something, doing something, trying their best. And God's pointing it out just like he did to the Romans. Can't do it. All right, so he says, but now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the what? The letter, the law, the Mosaic law. That's exactly what he's saying. We serve in the newness of what Christ has done for us. Now, I enjoy studying the law. I enjoy looking at it. I enjoy seeing what happened in history. But it literally, it does not impact what I'm doing today out of sight of being illustrative of what we do today. All right, let's move on. Uh, we got a few minutes. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3 for a moment. Galatians chapter 3 just absolutely hammers on this issue. And, you, and it, it really is like, you know, do I really want to go here? And when I hear from people, 
And again, no one that goes to this church. And they were like, listen, Pastor Rich, you, uh, you're missing the ball here telling folks that, that they're uh, saved strictly by faith. You're wrong. You need to tell folks they need to follow the law. And I'm like, okay, I appreciate your comment, but I absolutely am not going to follow it because it's so anti-biblical. It's like the, the Bible over and over and over again makes it very clear we're saved by grace and grace alone. And uh, uh, that was rejected by at least these folks that were trying to help me understand why I needed to follow the law. Well, God bless them. Uh, uh, Whoops, let's get to the right book. Ephesians, we'll go backwards a couple. I'm just going to try, and and boy, let's just start. Ephesians 3. Foolish Galatians. Oh, that's a nice way to introduce something. Hey, uh, how would you like somebody to come up to you and say, listen, uh, you're acting foolishly. That's what Paul's doing here. You know why he's telling the Galatians they're acting foolishly? Because they're trying to do the law again. He's like, what is wrong with you guys? Didn't you get saved and get right with God? Why in the world are you trying to go back to the law? Now, that's the paraphrase. Let's see what he says. Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Well, folks, I walked out of my house this evening, coming ready to get in a car, and I see a bunch of witches and goblins and whatever else walking down our road. What is it? Halloween, right? And, it, and it's like, who's bewitched you? Who's, who's committed sorcery on you? Who's committed a spell on you? How, how did you get involved with the occult here? But basically, what's he saying? You're following a false, rotten practice. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This is only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Well, of course, that's, a, that's a, a question that's very easy to answer. Does anybody receive the Spirit by the works of the law? And the answer is what? No. Absolutely not. All right, uh, uh, so he's going to keep hammering on the issue. Uh, uh, verse 3, are you so? And man, here he goes again. How many of you like being called a fool? I mean, that would not be on the top ten things I want somebody to call me, and he's just hammering on them. Uh, uh, do you, uh, are, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? In other words, the law is all fleshly. It's works. It's things you do. It's things that the flesh produces. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, again, it's a rhetorical question that they obviously should know the answer to. Well, it is by faith. That's why he keeps pounding this. What else does he say? Now he's going to bring in Abraham. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So when we look at the Jewish patriarchs, who's number one? Who's the first one? The ones that basically are going to be the formation of the Jewish people. Who do we start with? The person right here, Abraham. Do you know that when Abraham was justified by faith, it was before the implementation of the law? Abraham was justified by faith. The law didn't even exist. We've had slides up here on Wednesday night regarding that when the law was instituted, it was not instituted under Abraham. Just as Abraham believed God, period, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. By the way, what was the act that Abraham did to exercise that faith? God said what? Genesis chapter 12. 
the Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to make you a great people. I'm going to expand your horizons. I'm going to, uh, and then he'll in Genesis 15 gets into, I'm going to give you a great land. Nine times bigger, almost ten times bigger than the land that uh, the Jewish people currently have. That's coming in the kingdom, the millennium. It's all going to happen then. It hasn't happened yet. Uh, so what else did he say? Uh, just as Abraham believed God. It wasn't because Abraham followed the law. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Again, law did not exist yet. And the scripture, the Bible, foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by what? Faith. God is saying, listen, we're all going to basically exercise, just like Abraham, faith. And that's what he's pounding home here. All right, the scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, and you all the nations shall be blessed. Well, folks, that's, that's like taking part. When Abraham trusted in God by faith, it's the exact same thing that we do now. The law has been abolished. We get it now, and that's exactly the fulfillment of this particular concept. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. It's like, you want to go back to the law? Well, Here's a little problem with that. You inherit the curse as well. For as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all 613 things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no one is justified by the law. Can it get any clearer? Well, you know, we're trying to work our way to heaven. I'm trying to do my best, folks. Every single person on this planet outside of people that have put their faith and trust in Christ are saying that. Either that or they're totally rejecting the gospel. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying to be the best I can. I, uh, you heard uh, uh, Jen Price this morning. Up until a week ago, it, I'm going to be the perfect person. She went to another denominational church. I was going to be the perfect person in that church. I sang in the choir. I did the youth group. I did all these things. She was... Folks, and, and, I, and I said this morning, I've been praying for her for a couple of months because I knew exactly what needed to happen, and it happened last week. Now listen, we got core folks here this evening. Do you know why I had Micah McCrory come in? I told you I was going to do it. I said, there's people sitting in these pews that haven't trusted Christ yet, and they need to hear it from somebody else in a different way, whatever it takes for the Holy Spirit to move, Holy Holy Spirit showed up last week, and guess what? Four adults got saved. And, you know, praise the Lord. And, and that's why we do it. Uh, uh, I, I wish he'd do it through me, but he choose, chooses sometimes to do it through somebody else, or maybe in your Sunday school class, or maybe in your coffee shop, or maybe uh, at your home, or maybe at work, whatever it takes, and, and God makes it happen. Verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Here it comes again. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Curses everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by what? Faith. Faith alone. Yet uh, the law, by the way, that's the verse that got to Martin Luther. All of a sudden he reads that verse and it was a Micah McCrory, won't it? The just shall live by faith. Wait a minute, I've been walking up the stairs in the convent uh, uh, 
uh, on my knees. I've been bleeding. I beat myself half to death to show uh, how much I love God. I, I starved myself half to death. I've, I've made a, 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 my life just of absolute torture to show God how much I love him. And God says, uh, hey, Martin, how about, how about doing a, a faith thing? All of a sudden it hits him. Oh, I just shall live by faith. Now, I, of course, and, and I always like to say this, uh, Martin Luther made a tremendous stride for the, if you will, the, the Christian community. He still never fully developed out of what he was stuck in for year after year after year, uh, which was the uh, harsh Catholicism he lived under. So he still was influenced by that through his time here on earth. But thank God for a guy like him. Finally got it out there. The just shall live by faith, trusting in Christ. But that no one is justified by the law on the side of God is evidence for the just shall live by faith. Verse 12, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, speaking of the cross that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, folks, we could go on and on and on. I, I encourage you, listen, if you're struggling with, well, how much of the law should I keep? And God says, well, about this much, zero. Now, let me, let me rephrase that because that could be taken wrong. Let's go back to the Ten Commandments for a minute. How many of those Ten Commandments are reiterated in the New Testament that we're to follow? Basically, commands that God's given us. Nine out of the ten. What's the one he didn't? Well, the Sabbath. We don't follow the Sabbath anymore. It's been abolished. We meet together on the first day of the week, uh, which is when Christ was resurrected. So the Sabbath law basically taken off the table. But let's see. Does Paul talk about killing people? Is that okay? No. <laughs> Does God talk about spiritual adultery? Yes. Same thing in the, in the nine of the Ten Commandments. You go through all nine of the ten, except for uh, 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 the Sabbath keeping, they're all reiterated. So the moral law never changed. God doesn't say, well, live, live free, do whatever you want now. Uh, you're saved. Life is good. Antinomianism. What's antinomianism? We talked about it several weeks ago. Antinomianism was a false cultish thing that came out that said, listen, we're going to see how bad we can get to show how gracious God is. And there's a lot of people that have embraced antinomianism, unfortunately. It's sad. It's like, listen, uh, uh, I know God's gracious, therefore I'm going to live like the devil and still go to heaven. Well, folks, let me just kind of caveat on that. We all do things wrong at times has god called us to mature in jesus christ as a christian yes. absolutely it's called sanctification sanctification the definition is becoming on a continual basis more and more like jesus christ we'll never make it on this earth our ultimate sanctification will come when we're in heaven but here's the thing other passages we could go back to Romans chapter 6, which we studied. And they said, oh, yeah, I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. I believe in internal security. I bet I could do some sinning, and God will just, he's so gracious, he'll let me by. Romans chapter 6, first verse says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Next verse, or next word is, God 
forbid. All right? So uh, uh, God's called us to be holy, set-apart vessels to serve him. And folks, that's, that's our lifestyle. That's what we try to do. And I know that's what you try to do, or you wouldn't be here on a Sunday night. Uh, most people would prefer to be doing uh, something else. But you folks said, listen, we're going to come, we're going to study the Word of God and gather around it. So keep Galatians 3 in mind, and let's close out. Romans chapter 3, where is boasting then? It's excluded by what law of works? No, but by the law of what? Faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by what? By faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the Jewish people, known as the circumcised, by what? By faith, and the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we do what? All right, now son, here's where we get into another little interpretive challenge. What do you mean we establish the law? Well, obviously it's saying here we need to keep the law. We're establishing it. It's not at all what he's saying here. We establish the law when we realize that the law said, listen, sinner, listen, one who can't keep the law. Do you understand who you are apart from Christ, that their sin abounds within your life before Christ? And you're like, what did the law's purpose again? It was a, and the Bible calls it, Paul calls it the schoolmaster. It's the tutor that leads you to Christ. By the way, when you, when you get your diploma, and there's uh, young folks here, some may be older, that have tutors. Well, when you're done and you finally get the certificate, you've passed the class, do you still need that tutor? The answer should be No. <laughs> Right? You've gone through it. You got the paper. You passed the course. You're done with the tutor. And that's what God says. Listen, when you trusted Christ, if you will, you got the certificate. And you're not under the tutor anymore. You're no longer under the law, but under grace. Romans 3 says what? We establish the law, which means what? The law proves we need Christ as not one person can follow the commandments. That is exactly what he's stating. All right, we've come to an end. Not bad on time, by the way. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Folks, here's, and again, this is a Sunday night crowd. You're here because you want to be here, except for maybe a couple of the kids. <laughs> What does all this mean? It means scattered throughout Union Grove, scattered throughout Kansasville, scattered throughout Yorkville, scattered throughout Racine County, Kenosha County, Milwaukee County, are thousands of churches that will teach their people today, listen, better try hard, better do your best, better hope that you've done enough good to outweigh the bad, and they're scared. And rightly so. They have no clue where they're going. They hope they're going the right place. Their friends, their family says, well, yeah, you probably get there. Do your best, you know? You're not a bad person. You've only been in prison two, three times. I think you're good. Only beat your wife a couple of times. Only shot. That's the bad side. 
Folks, nobody's perfect, are they? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And God says, listen, Christian, do you really love the people outside the four walls of this church? I'm praying, and I hope you are too, that over the next year, before we hit the vacation time, folks, this is the most serious time when people, at least to some degree, have cut down on their traveling. There's a lot of holidays coming up, Thanksgiving, Christmas. We won't count New Year's because that's unfortunately a party day, but Thanksgiving and Christmas are coming up. We have special events here. You have family members, loved ones, people that you work with, people that you run into school with, folks that you meet in the grocery stores and the restaurants, and they need Christ, and they don't know how to get Him. They just don't. They've been told a false narrative their entire life. And guess who's got the answer? You do. Folks, I'd like to keep filling the baptistry up with folks that you've led to the Lord. Wouldn't it be wonderful? And it can happen. I mean, it can happen. Can you be a part of that? Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the precious Word of God. Lord, we've looked at illustrations of things that you have put in place to illustrate how we're to respond to you. And as Christians, Lord, you've called us not to be bound up by the Old Testament law, not to be bound up by do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. But you've given us great freedom, but of course you have not given us a license to sin. So Father, I pray as we leave here in a few moments that we might be motivated, that we would put someone in our mind right now. Maybe it's somebody that uh, they'll see at a store tomorrow that they know. Maybe it's somebody that waits on them regularly at a restaurant. Maybe it's someone that they see at a particular store uh, that they go to or the gas station or someplace. Maybe it's somebody that they see at work. Maybe it's somebody that they see at school. Maybe it's someone who lives next door or down the block from them, and they've got a heart for them, and they're thinking about them. Lord, would you help them this week to do what many, many, many folks said they would do last week when Micah McCrory was here to get out that gospel track, to go down and share that tract with whoever this person might be that's in their head right now. And Father, to get over the scaredness, to get over the intimidation, and to reach out and to share the gospel with somebody who desperately needs it this week. Father, would you help us? It's hard. It's tough. It's uh, maybe one of the hardest things for most people to do, but Father, give us the tenacity. So, Lord, I pray now that as we dismiss you, help us to have this person in our mind. I'm going to ask you why our heads are bowed, eyes are closed for a moment. Listen, you are not under the law, and I believe everybody here already knew that before you walked in. But you are under grace. I want you to think about that person that you're going to see this week. Just one. Let's just do one person right now. Who is that one person that you potentially could reach for Christ this week or at least start the conversation or at least get that gospel track to? One person. Who is it? Would you pray for him right now? Would you say, oh, dear God, would you please help me? Would you please help me to reach out and give him the name? Would you please help me to get to that person this week? Father, I'm looking forward to some results that are going to take place. Would you bless these dear folks now? Help me, Lord, too. 
as we go out to tell others the greatest news ever given to mankind, that Christ Jesus came into the world